are. We made it. We made it to recording, Michael. Yes. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. We made an offer on this house, right? Mm-hmm. And just like the seller is just dragging their fucking feet. Oh, no. It's like sending text to a girl you have a crush on. <laughs> or in my case, sending text to a Michael. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh. No, you've grown. You've grown. Okay, I've grown. It's like, here's an offer. We want to buy this house. Okay, but like, I'm busy. <laughs> I have to wash my hair. Although now as a person who has very long hair, it's like sometimes I do have to wash my hair. <laughs> sometimes it is like an endeavor that I have to undertake. Yeah, that's as my hair gets longer and longer. Right. I've seen the sort of arc of your hair care routine really yeah. uh, take off. I've been rewatching Ugly Betty, which is just crazy because it's like very dated but bernadette peters has a guest starring arc on it and as soon as i saw her i thought of you as your hair icon her hair was looking great obviously as it always does oh i found like a new subreddit i've been scrolling a little bit oh yeah it's called wow i mean this is some basic bullshit but it's called oddly terrifying oddly terrifying oh and I just came across a robot dog with a gun mounted on it. Oh, no. Officially created. That's like ripped from the headlines. Yeah. So there are like people getting paid salaries with benefits and stuff. To, to make, make gun dogs. <laughs> to make gun dogs. I've discovered. Well, you know, could have guessed it. But, you know, the photographic evidence is undeniable. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I wonder if those people wanted to be like firefighters or something when they were young. I would say that's like the majority of uh, what's happening. How are you, Hava? <sighs> Baruch of fucking Chim. I'm a little flustered right now from my bed falling apart. But also on Friday, there was a 20 minute Animal Crossing direct. Oh. And the amount and variety of Animal Crossing content that's coming is just like beyond my wildest dreams. Okay, give me like the big paradigm shifting info. <sighs> the paradigm shifting info. Let's see. A cafe is coming to the museum. Nine more types of fencing. Customizable fencing. Storage that's accessible from outside. Different kinds of exteriors for your house. Increased number of bridges and inclines. 16 new villagers. 16 new villagers. This character is returning from a past game named Cap'n, who can take you to a different kind of mystery island where it can be a different season or a different time of day. Items that hang on the ceiling. A first-person camera mode. And then, in addition to that, on the same day, a paid DLC is dropping that is essentially a whole other game on top of this game. What's a DLC? Downloadable content is oh, what that stands okay, for. Okay. So paid update is dropping. That's basically like a whole second game called Happy Home Paradise, which is basically a takeoff of a previous game, a spinoff from the franchise, where basically you can like... Is it like a first-person shooter? <laughs> yeah. Did you guess that from the title, which sounds exactly like a first-person shooter? Yeah, kind of. It's got that like dystopian irony <laughs> first-person shooter... Anyway, it's I'm just, I'm still riding on the high of the Animal Crossing Direct for sure. All right, cool. My mind is boggled. I've rewatched the presentation like five times at least. Oh my god. Yeah, I, and I'm gonna watch it five more. I'm sure. Oh, on Harvey's Island, there's gonna be like a whole shopping area where the people who are visitors to your island set up permanent shops. What? <sighs> it's okay. just okay. Nope. <laughs> 
Michael, you're canceled. Don't no, even speak to me that this way. This is just not a game anymore. This sounds like an errand. This sounds like a job. <laughs> you have always treated Animal Crossing like a job, and I think that's what ultimately undermined your enjoyment of the series. I mean, I think that's my problem generally. I treat life as a job. Yes, that's a problem I ran into with streaming. It was hard to do it in a way where I didn't actually care about like whether people came and watched me or not mm -hmm. even though i really wanted to but then i like kept putting pressure on myself to perform in a certain way and then at a certain point i was like this is taking away my like enjoyment of animal crossing for myself so now i got myself set up and now i've like sworn off time traveling again I haven't time traveled in like a week. So I'm trying to like restore. I'm trying to like, you know, ha like be a born again virgin in terms of Animal Crossing time travel. All right. Well, I'm proud of you. I support that. Thank you. You know, whatever. I mean, if you, <laughs> you know, whatever. I support you. I will do whatever you want. I support you. Thank you. Let's get into it. We have a bunch of stuff to talk about Yes, this today. is very relatable. Treating your life like the job. This question that we're bringing from a listener is very, why does this Jewish stuff make it seem like my life is a job? What's the deal here? All right. We are going to listen to a voicemail. Hi, I'm a long-term fan of your podcast, or maybe I've just been marathoning it for a few months. I'm reading Shulchan Aruch. And I noticed that there's quite a bit of, like, nitty-gritty about, like, putting one shoe on and then the other shoe or, like, some very exact ways of doing things. And I was wondering, like, what the belief is that we would stand to gain by following some of these ways of doing things. And also, I noticed in Orachayim 4, line 19, they were talking about hand-washing. And they were talking about that if you don't wash your hands after certain things, you'll be afraid for a certain number of days and not know what you're afraid of. And I was wondering if that's just if you don't wash your hands enough, you'll become anxious or what the thought process is there or if there's other situations like that. I've also noticed some of these say that if you don't do it, like there's fear of witchcraft. And I guess I was wondering what that fear of witchcraft is related to. I hope you have a great day. Bye. Listener, thank you so much for that question. There's so much in it to dive into. Can you give a quick summation of the question? Seems like this is a two-parter. Yeah, there seems to be two elements of text that are being asked about. One of them is this piece from Shulchan Aruch about being afraid for a certain number of days. One of them is this thing about putting on your shoes in the right order. And then sort of a third meta question about why talk about any of these things at all. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to start with the being afraid thing, which our wonderful listener brought from Shulchan Aruch or Achaim, but we are going to bring from Pesachim 112a, where we read, Dim Socha if you let blood and don't wash your hands, you'll be afraid for seven days. If you cut hair and don't wash your hands, you'll be afraid for three days. If you cut your nails and don't wash your hands, you'll be afraid for one day and not know what's frightening you. And then placing your hands on your nostrils is a way to become afraid. Placing your hand on your forehead is a way to fall asleep. 
there's not a lot of broader context on the duff where this is coming from. This is basically just like the rabbis are like, here are some facts. And by facts, I mean magic. And, we're, you know, we're just going to say all of the stuff that we've heard about or know about. And the Talmud often does this sort of collection of folk wisdom. One of the things the listener brought up is the idea of fear of witchcraft. And it is definitely a historical idea sort of throughout Jewish witchy magical history that our body and especially things that we sort of dispose of out of our body have sort of the power to be used in spells for or against us. There's this great book called Sweetening the Spirits, Healing the Sick, which is about Sephardic ritual magic. Great read if you want to learn about that kind of thing. And there's like spells in there where people use like different people's feces and urine in love spells. They use fingernails, basically like all these kinds of things that we dispose of off of our body, oftentimes in this sort of magical imaginary have been understood to somehow contain some essence of us that can be used for good or for ill for magical purposes. So that's my general sense of what's going on here is like, if you're not meticulous about how you take care of that material and how you take care of yourself after handling that material, you're putting yourself at supernatural risk. Okay, okay. So you'll be afraid for a certain amount of days, but after that time period, the essence that's incorporated in that part of you, I guess, has decomposed. Yeah, it has a half-life, a magical half-life. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the rabbis were thinking, but in their own time, this was experienced as sort of obviously true that magic was possible and that magic was happening all mm. the time. You know, it's like a public health PSA, you know, it's like wash mm. your hands you know, whether it's germs or witchcraft, I think we have to understand it in the context of their time. And so the Shulchan Aruch is coming in the 1500s, a thousand years or so after the Talmud, and basically repeating this? Yeah, I mean, the Shulchan Aruch is a work of halacha, which mostly means that it's sort of synthesizing and distilling what's in the Talmud into sort of the how-to manual. And since this is a pretty clear sort of how-to or how-not-to, the Shulchan Aruch just plucks this passage right out of its context and puts it in the book of things to do so that you know to do it. That I just wanted to touch on briefly. Now we're going to go on to talking about the shoes, which is sort of the more complicated and revealing matter. I feel like the shoes come up a lot. Shoes come up in a lot of ways in Talmud. Shoes and feet, they're kind of a big deal. We start our journey in Shabbat 61a, where we read, it's taught in a Mishnah, he can't go out with one sandal when there's no wound on his foot. So basically, the law that's being discussed here is you can't go out with only one shoe on or possibly specifically one sandal. We don't know if it's specific or general. You can't go out with one shoe on unless you have a wound on your foot. The Gemara continues to say, which foot does the sandal go on? Does it go on the wounded foot or the foot without the wound? Because if, as Rav Huna says in this Gemara, it goes on the one with the wound, 
that means that a sandal exists for the purpose of avoiding pain on that foot. Whereas Chia Bagrav says that it goes on the one without the wound, so he must think it's for the purpose of comfort. So basically we have a debate. We have an accepted law about you can only wear one shoe if you have a wound. And then we have a debate about does that mean you wear it on the wounded foot or on the non-wounded this foot? is so of course you wear it on the non-wounded foot there's way too many loose ends if you wear it on the wounded foot then why would you not wear a sandal on the freaking foot that's normal what the <laughs> fuck wait wait question is this rule is this coming from mishnah and then the fucking gamara comes along and mucks it up is that is that what's happening here yes oh my god this is so straightforward, guys. This is so <laughs> straightforward. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see if you continue to feel that way. Okay. The Gemara goes on. Rav Yochanan holds with Rav Huna, which maintains that you wear the sandal on the wounded foot. So Rav Yochanan said to Rav Shimon Bar Abba, give me my sandal. And he gave him the right sandal. And he said, you have rendered me as one with a wound. So our translation explains, in Rabbi Yochanan's opinion, one must always put on his left shoe first. One who puts on the right shoe first is no longer permitted to put on the left shoe. By handing him his right sandal, he's forcing Rabbi Yochanan to go out with one sandal, leading onlookers to speculate that he has a wound on that foot. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep going and we're... What? <laughs> There's so much to explain here. I just want to get it out, and then we'll dive back okay, in. Okay, okay, okay. So go. then the Gemara starts to go the other way. It says, perhaps Rabbi Yochanan actually agreed with Chiyabar Rav, and he meant that you should wear the sandal on the healthy foot. And he's saying, by handing me my right shoe, you've rendered my left foot, on which I have no shoe, as one with a wound. So we can't draw any proof from this story of Rav Yochanan. And one of the reasons we're having this whole debate is because elsewhere in the Gemara, we read, Rav Yochanan said, just like you put on tefillin, that's the same way you put on shoes. Tefillin are placed on the left arm. So when you're putting on shoes, you begin with the left foot. This is where I would say we start to get into something that's at least starting to bear resemblance to sensibility because there's like a uniform thing going on between the morning routine of sort of the Jewish man in this context. Because Tefillin do have sort of a strict order and some textual proofs to how they go on. So sort of making everything match is sensible in a certain way, right? Yeah, okay, but hold on. There's two issues here. One is... <laughs> One is like, what's the proper protocol to do with your feet with injuries and shoes? And the other one is how to put on your shoes. Right. The first problem, the mission to make sense. You have to wear shoes outside unless uh, you got an injury. Don't wear a shoe on that foot. That's the only correct interpretation. <laughs> you got to wear shoes outside. It's a decency thing. But, you know, you can go without a shoe if you're injured because you need to air that fucker out. You need to air out your foot. Right. So then how do they tie that to suddenly talking about the order of your shoes. Well, you have to understand, right, this is not occurring in a temporal order. Both of these rulings exist. Rabbi Yochanan has said, we put on our shoes left shoe first. If you just put on your right shoe, and you were only ever going to put on your right shoe, you haven't transgressed Rav Yochanan's ruling, because you're only putting on one shoe. Right, okay. But if you put on your left shoe, then you have transgressed it. 
So once you put on the wrong shoe, you're now trapped. Either you need to wear one shoe or you have to break Rav Yochanan's ruling. Wait, wait, wait. Or you take off your shoe, then put on the right shoe and the left <laughs> shoe. Come on. That is an option that is not explored <laughs> here. This is, oh my God. Also, I think it's a little bit like the rabbis had an opinion on this subject. I bet in real life, they probably were willing to take off and put on their shoes, but they needed to construct this argument to explain sort of what their fucking deal was. Oh, oh, okay. As a counterpoint, even if you take off your right shoe, you've still put on your right shoe first. That doesn't undo the fact that you put on your right shoe first. Okay, okay. What if you put on your right shoe, walk around outside for a second, come (laughs) back in? That must reset. You say that must reset, but what you're doing now is just entering into the halachic debate, which is fine, but nothing that you said is like, obviously true it's just a reasonable halachic proposition well fine i'm entering into the debate and i'm saying <laughs> if it doesn't obviously re- michael reset, has entered the chat if it doesn't obviously reset god damn it i will tell you right now then they have a bigger problem say you have an injury on your left foot and say we've collectively decided you got to leave the injured foot bare right so you'd be put right. on your right foot in the morning and then somewhere over the course of the day, your left foot heals. So then what What do you do the next day? Because like the previous day, you put the right shoe on. So clearly there's got to be a reset time. Right. When the sun goes down, your shoe situation needs to reset. I'm going crazy here, Hava. Yeah, well, we have even more to add to your insanity. Okay, okay, okay. There is also existing elsewhere in the Gemara, a baraita from an unattributed who fucking knows who that says the right shoe has precedence which is the opposite of what we have learned so far. Basically, what we end up with as our ruling, we put on the right shoe first and then the left, and then we tie the shoes in the opposite order, left and then the right, to sort of give both shoes their due opportunity for precedence. Okay, so this is like a compromise position. This is a splitting the baby kind of. I found this... Really fun and interesting explanation on OUTORA.org, which is a site that I use often for little things like this. Our dear author, Dr. Asher Meyer, explains, we can explain as follows. The right side represents the aspect of mercy. The left side, the aspect of stern judgment. This is sort of an established Kabbalistic thing. Both aspects, mercy and judgment, are necessary. The Midrash declares that the world cannot stand on either aspect alone. However, the balance is not currently ideal. There's too much judgment and not enough mercy in the world. We find many times that our sages indicate that we should work to strengthen the aspect of God's mercy and limit the aspect of his judgment. For instance, we find that Rabbi Yochanan urges us to pray that from above they should augment our strength and dispel our adversaries. Rashi explains this means to strengthen the aspect of mercy and dispel our accusers. Thus, there is a need to bind and restrain the left side a bit since this is the aspect of severity, justice, basically, or judgment. Basically, we have these two sides, and there's sort of also this established Jewish symbology that shoes represent sort of our special human status in the world. Asher Meyer says, They separate and protect us from the lowly ground and are typically made of leather, showing that we are elevated above the beasts. Thus, when we put on our shoes, showing strength and protection, we give precedence to the right. 
But when we tie showing restraint, we give precedence to the left. So that's one reading of this is that it's all one complete Kabbalistic whole that there is a mystical significance to the way in which we tie our shoes that that affects the sort of like balance of divine vibes in the world. And so we need to essentially do this thing in order to sort of manifest this spiritual reality. Do you know if that's coming from like Hasidic philosophy? It is mostly coming from Midrash and stuff that predates oh, okay. what we'd call Hasidic philosophy, but sure, sure, sure. that's only because of the sources Dr. Asher Meyer quotes. There might be some other stuff going on that I don't know about in the background. Okay, wow. Okay, that's a very poetic, very nice. Yeah. That soothed my frustrated soul. Justin, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of going back to relating to our passage about being afraid and all that stuff, right? A lot of these sort of nonsensical minutiae end up having like magical or spiritual significances, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I think is one way to answer this question. There is a flavor of Kabbalistic worldview that says that nothing we do in life is insignificant. It all has some spiritual consequence, every one of our actions. So no action is sort of immune from having a right way to be done, right? There's always a way in which to bring further balance and repair to the world. And the quest of halacha is to sort of lay out that path for us. And that's why we have wacky things like this is because we are sort of always engaged in that balancing process. If I step back and and think about like what would be an equivalent thing that would be more, I guess, like digestible by someone in 2021 modern America, you could make a similar argument that's like well you got to meditate meditating is good for you and it's also like Mm -hmm. i guess if you you know think about it it's kind of good for the universe too right you could conceive of a person writing a passage that says like meditating is metaphysically good like sitting and staring at a wall is like metaphysically good for the universe because of x y and z reasons and like if you zoom out a thousand years and don't really maybe know the context of what meditation or sitting and staring at a wall is and it's just like words on a page and you're looking at the actions right it it can seem totally wild but i'm not exactly sure how to phrase it but no i think you're doing great i think that's a great way to phrase it and and that's definitely what i'm getting at here i think people who are interested in halacha tend to have this view to a greater or lesser extent here we're sort of seeing an embodiment of the extreme version of it but I think we all fall somewhere on this spectrum of believing what we do matters, right? And sure. the only question is, how much do we think what we do matters? And like, what is the equation for like figuring out that proportion? Yeah, yeah. That is one thing. And then the last thing I want to bring is like... Like the meta question? Well, that was the meta question, right? That was the meta question about the magic and the spiritual implication of all of our actions. The last thing I wanted to bring is just like possibly the one semi-sensible part in all of this is just like, why can't we go out with one sandal? That's a question we've never answered in all of this. Okay, okay. And so I want to take us back to Mishnah Shabbat 6-2, where we read, A man may not go out with a nail-studded sandal, nor with a single sandal if he has no wound on his foot, nor with tefillin, nor with an amulet if it is not from an expert, nor with a breastplate, nor with a helmet, nor iron boots, 
Yet if he goes out with these, he is not liable for a sin offering. There's, you know, pages and pages about each of these objects. But the one that's relevant to us, right, is the sandal with no wound on your foot. Mishnah Barura, which is a great Mishnah commentary, explains that the reason is because people might make fun of you if you go out with one sandal, and then you might be tempted to carry it. So this is all a protection against going out with one sandal specifically on Shabbat. And if you go out with one sandal and people make fun of you, you might be tempted to carry your sandal, which would be forbidden on Shabbat. And so you're sort of setting yourself up for transgression. But the re- you're not liable for a sin offering because these are not issues in and of themselves. They are sort of precautions. Okay, okay. And you're not allowed to carry your clothes on Shabbat. Yes. So... Are you not allowed to make fun of people outside for what they look like on Shabbat? (laughs) When am I allowed to make fun of people? In general, the Talmud has a very strong stance against making fun of people on all counts. Okay, Um, okay, okay. So so never uh, would be the answer. So this is only if you're walking through a Gentile neighborhood. Yes, which uh, given the majority of Jewish history, you probably will be. Okay. So if like a Roman soldier is like, you look stupid with a sandal. Okay, I got exactly. it. Okay. Exactly. That is what I brought for our dear listener. My first answer is that this is about spiritual hygiene. My second answer was a long explanation of the whole shoe debate. And then the answer to our meta question was that according to a certain Jewish worldview, everything we do matters, you know, in a sort of vast spiritual negotiation between mercy and severity and that is not unique and is common in many modern spiritual ideas that are popular now absolutely absolutely so that's what's up in my opinion listener i hope you have enjoyed receiving this answer to your question i certainly have enjoyed researching it that was great listeners thanks for listening send us your questions we want to answer five million more questions from you all so no matter how big or how small Send us your questions via the Talmud hotline, or you can email us at chaihowareyou at gmail.com, or ask a question anonymously on our website at chaihowareyou.com. That's right, yes. Y'all are great. Got an episode full of hot takes coming up next week, so be ready for that. And we will talk to all you beautiful people soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.